Look at uh, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, the classic passage probably from the Old Testament about the uh, heart-shaping power of a home. And let me set you up by the context here. Uh, Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law. They're getting ready to cross over Jordan. (coughs) Excuse me, I'm fighting a cold. Uh, They're getting ready to cross over Jordan. Uh, They've been marching for 40 years because they've been being disciplined for not obeying the, the report that they could take the land. And so we're getting ready to move into a land that God had told Abraham, I'm going to take your descendants into Egypt, and I'm going to let the sins of the Amorite be filled up. It's such a bad place. After their sins are filled up, then I'll bring you back to this land. Now, on the brink of getting go- going into the land of Canaan that was notoriously evil and wicked about Uh, fertility rights, sex, and sacrificing children to the altar of Molech. So you're going into a land where it's common in the religious practices to kill your firstborn son or to kill your firstborn daughter. This is a prevalent cultural feel. Sex in Canaan will be used in religion so that religion and sex go together And now he's talking to a people who have no temple, have no synagogue, no schools, no youth groups. And how in the world can you preserve what I'm showing you as a nation, the monotheism, the one God that I am? How, what way can we preserve you so you're not assimilated and destroyed by these pagan Gentile nations. What is the way it can happen? Now watch what he says. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our Elohim. Yahweh is a compound unity. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. How? Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads thus the Jewish phylacteries. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord God brings you into this land that he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you begin to get build cities, and you get wells you didn't dig, and vineyards you didn't plant, verse 12, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. So their only defense was not church, synagogue, Christian schools, but godly homes where God would not be kept in a box and taken out one day a week. Your lives will be permeated as you're impressing on your children by how you publicize 
talk about that it's a whole way of life. Now, go to another passage, the notorious passage that tells us where the Gentile world is, is in Romans 1. Notice this. Romans 1 says God is pouring out his wrath upon godlessness and wickedness of men. Verse 18. Because what they can know about God, they suppress. They, they want to get rid of what can be known about God, and God holds them to be without excuse. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Very interesting. When you get rid of God, you don't quit being religious. There is something in man that he wants an object outside of himself that he can attribute power, maybe the future. And so he says, when they get through firing God, the Gentile world, they will turn to idolatry and would rather worship an animal than they would the true and living God, whose invisible power and attributes have been on display in creation. So they fire God. They get rid of God. We don't want God. God responds this way. 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity. Where is all this impurity coming from? From people who abandon the true God. Idolatry always leads to immorality. It just, when you get rid of the God who has moral boundaries and has right and wrong inscribed on the Ten Commandments and sets all kinds of rules in Leviticus 11, 18, Deuteronomy, this is the way a theocratic people are to live. This is the way we live. Your God can tell you how to live. And so he lays that down, and it goes on there that in their debauchery and in the throwing God away, they go to impure sexual behavior, degrading their bodies, and on and on. So, we live in such a world. What is hard for us in the United States is we claim a Judeo-Christian background that anybody aware of our history knows is being abandoned constantly. Uh, we're all in to save the earth. You know what? Hear me on this. God is about the worst ecologist we've got going. Did you know that? Did you know God made thorns grow? You know where thorns came from? God. If you sin, I'm going to curse the ground for your sake. Where's green there? I'll tell you something else. He said, I'm going to burn it all up someday. Don't get in love with it. Don't get over here and tie yourself to a redwood tree. It's going to burn. So pick on God about the future of the earth. Man has brought his own chaos through sin and ruined paradise. So don't get all in love with the earth. It's going to perish one way or the other. Now, it doesn't mean we ought to be stupid stewards of it, but let's don't be in love with it. Terra firma can't save you. It's going to pass. Now, with that in mind, I want us to jump into uh, the Proverbs and see that when they were raising Jewish boys and Jewish young ladies, and they didn't have schools, synagogues, and they're among a pagan people, we have 10 
uh, parental lessons that are given in Proverbs right up front. And I hope you have these notes. Uh, they, $10 per person. Uh, I'd appreciate it. Go to my Hawaii fund. And uh, here he starts in the book of Proverbs. Here's the 10 parental admonitions. Pick your right, the right kind of peers, chapter 1. Know how to pick friends. Isn't that the toughest thing you deal with in your kids? Is what kind of kids you're going to hang out with? Did any of you have any trouble like that? Even in your own life? Really, it's the guys I was running with that scares me when I look back. Uh, wow, I, 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 I should have been dead just to pick them for friends. And I really didn't pick them for friends. I picked them for survival. Uh, get the wisdom and skills you need for life. Fear the Lord. Walk with security in the ways of wisdom. Maintain wise ways of living. He shows them two paths of living. Maintain a heart of wisdom. And then he deals with sexuality in chapter 5. He warns of the uh, treachery of adultery in chapter 6. And then he tells them how to avoid it in chapter 7. And these are the instructions in Proverbs 1.8 and in chapter 4 of both the mother and the father. Who happens to be the moral teachers in your home? I think this is what is amazing because what has happened through media? Have our homes been taken over by other messages or by when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you walk by the way, you shall keep something plugged into your ear. And so we've devised the world, these mechanisms, and, and it bugs me. I get my own grandchildren. I've got about that much tolerate. When you're with your grandfather, that thing goes off. And, you know, when you're bigger than them, you can do that. But see, this invasion that people are, you've never seen anybody while they're in the meeting are, are taking phone calls. Who are you with? Who are you with? And when you're at home, who is doing the teaching? TV, media invasion, and so we've cut off the home teaching. We, that, that's been shut down. And I am amazed at how many of you Christians never did teach your kids about sex. You never did use the divine curriculum because you were too godly. You were too holy. Or, oh, they'll figure it out. Yeah, they will. They sure will. And, and you've got to get him young. By the time a boy came to his bar mitzvah, I am convinced he was taught the moral restraints of Proverbs. By the time your boy or girl are 14, what would they have known from mom and dad about sex in their body? Our youth group is flooded constantly. You cannot believe what these uh, young men and women deal with in our youth group. Homes that are broken up, uh, homes that drugs are commonly used, Kids into sex by the time they're in the eighth grade. This thing, that thing, teen pregnancy. Somebody's not saying a thing. Not that morals, is morals do not regenerate and, and boundaries don't save anyone. But where are the boundaries? And he tells his people Israel, I want you to teach these to your kids. And I think it might be something we ought to teach. Follow me. Let's go to chapter 2 of Proverbs. If this shocks any of you, you don't believe in the Word of God. 
don't dare come up to me and say, you're a dirty old man. No, I believe all the Bible. When it speaks to morals, I believe it. Thank you, three. That's okay. They're guilty. Uh, listen, verse 20, chapter 2. And I was on the wrong chapter, but I know it's chapter 2. Might have to change my verse here. Um, where do we want to be here? I'm lost. Uh, verse 12. It, wisdom will save you from wicked men. But then he goes from wicked men to verse 16. It will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. And uh, it's hard to, you, you get different opinions. They think this could be foreign women. Uh, men like Dr. Walking, they say, no, he thinks it might be a woman from another tribe or from another neighborhood that's working this neighborhood. So they're like foreigners to you. But the thing about this foreign kind of woman from another clan, she happens to be a married woman, and she's picking up money on the side, obviously, by seducing young men. And he says, this wisdom that your parents has been instructing you about to not have bad companions, it's the kind of moral instruction that saves you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words, a foreign kind of woman acting like a Gentile, really, because the Gentiles didn't have any morals. They didn't have the law. They didn't have the divine restraints even working on them. And what has she done that can go out on the street, though married, and sell her body or entice young people? Says she's left the partner of her youth, which is a moving word. The Hebrew word here is the friend of her youth, her, her bosom companion. Uh, she's so treacherous, not that she can do the sex act, but that she could abandon her primary loyalty to one she came to know and should have been her lifetime friend, and she ignores the covenant she made before God. Now, I would take this to be the marriage covenant. For her house leads down to death, and her paths to the spirits of the dead. Now, listen to this. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Is that not a shocking warning? None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. If you give your life to this kind of disloyalty and will join up with people who will abandon their husband, abandon the vows to those who were their first level friend, if you give yourself to this kind of association and this kind of behavior, you're on a dead-end street. You may not return from it, and as it keeps on going, you may never return, and it will cost you your life. Now, is this the picture that a Hollywood R-rated movie pictures? See, one thing about sin, it never tells you the end. Its power is in enticement. Its power is the pleasure it offers. Easy money, easy sex, quick, let's just get it done. And yet, it says, you'll pay a lot more than you ever counted on paying. And this is what 
Sin always ignores. Eat the fruit of the tree. Hey, if you eat, it's going to cost you more than a good flavor. It's going to bring death, and you're going to bury your son Cain if you eat that tree. If you eat that fruit, you're going to pay. No, I just want a quickie. I just want a one-night stand. It won't hurt. It will hurt. It damages the body, damages the soul. And who teaches this? Mom and dad to boy and girl. You don't need, uh, you don't have to worry about, well, uh, I think if they're boy, the man, both of you teach. If you are the mother and you birth the boy, smack him and say, you listen to me. Act like you're the parent. We're called to do more than feed and clothe kids. We've been called to shape their values. Not the school. I don't need California's school system trying to teach my kid values. Because, see, we've got the schools loaded with the generation I graduated with that gave up their values in the 60s for drugs and free love. And many of them wound up in school posts. What can they pass on but what they did? It's the home that has to stand up. Not just the youth group. There's really no mandate that our youth group has to try to teach your kids morals. And then you come down to the church. I don't want you telling my kids anything about this. No, you haven't said a word, have you? We need your help. By the way, it is so wonderful to see the men uh, and the women who volunteer to work in our youth groups. Thank God for you. We don't have enough of you, but thanks. Thanks for your help. Uh, I think of a guy that we've got in the youth group. The guys were telling me what a great impact he has. Uh, I knew him when. I knew him when. I mean, I saw him when he first got saved, his struggles, and now a dad, a grandfather, and up here in his 60s, devoting the rest of his life trying to turn kids the right way to keep them. What a great thing. Thank God for you people who find it worthwhile to invest in kids. Let's do all that we can. Look at chapter 6. Chapter 6. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm just determined to go to chapter 6. Chapter 5. He warns against uh, adultery. Now, you know, now know this, to be Jewish, you lived under capital punishment if you committed adultery. They, they could stone you. They didn't carry it out very much. They really didn't. Uh, even you have prostitution in Israel. You read, you know, Judah, Tamar, and they didn't execute them. You have a woman at the well in chapter 4 of John. Uh, Obviously, uh, sleeping with a guy she's not married to, no execution. But they did have it on the statute books that you could be killed for moral misbehavior. So we don't have those kind of laws. So it was a serious thing. But notice how he appeals to this boy as a parent. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Watch. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. 
She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. And the first thing he says, hey, let me teach you something about a smooth-talking woman. And I'd say a smooth-talking man. Watch out. Smooth speech is often used as a trap to kill you. Uh, Would you rather have an honest friend or a perpetual flatterer in your life? Flattery feels good for the moment, but you need a friend. said that her end is bitter gall. You see in Psalm 73, the psalmist says, I nearly lost my faith when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Then I went into the house of God, and he showed me their end. You ought to be at the bedside of people dying of venereal disease, dying of AIDS, dying of a promiscuous disease. It, it, what started out as gaiety and a no-consequential thing, my right, I need no boundaries, all the end. Or in this case, when he's warning against adultery, can you imagine how many children are still crying and still wondering why mom and dad can't have Christmas for the whole family anymore because they broke up, split the family tree. See, what starts out a smooth, appealing, gratifying, take God's word for it. What he forbids always has a bitter end. You, you want to avoid the bitter end. Uh, my son, listen to me. Don't turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Don't even go by where she's hanging out. It'll it'll cost you your strength. Let strangers feast on your wealth, and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end, there's a word again, at the end of your life you will groan. When your flesh and body are spent, uh, that sounds to me like physical consequences. You will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers, which in this context is mom and dad, or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Um, It costs you your honor. It takes the years from your strength. It costs you your finances. And why does the young man fall into it? He hated the teaching of his parents. Notice that verse 12 and 13. They hated the teaching of the parents, their verbal instruction. I'm at the breaking point because of my sin, 14. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. I even still go to the corporate meetings of Israel, but I threw off all that my parents taught me in my youth because I know more than them. You know, they were born before sex was invented. They don't know anything. I'm in the cool generation. I could throw this off. And here's a dad pleading with young people, primarily, listen to your mother, listen to your dad. By the way, I want to say this. I think I I see this as a common thing that runs through church life. 
is people said, but I did it all. I was the most immoral person in my neighborhood. I could never teach on it. Wait, the authority for what we teach them is not your life, but the Word of God. Teach them what God said, and we believe your sins are forgiven, don't you? So you can step up and be a teacher, not based upon your prime example. You were lost at one time. You didn't do it God's way. I kind of inclined to think it would double your message. You know what the end is like. You know what bad choices resulted in. Don't let it silence you, and don't play a saint with them. Just tell them the truth. Your daddy has been sinful in this area. I didn't heed instruction, or I didn't know. I wasn't raised. But, but I'm here to tell you. I'm here to fight for you. I'm here to instruct you. Not about how I've lived, but about how God instructs you to live. Don't, don't be uh, uh, stripped of the right to teach morals, even if you've been immoral. Uh, none of us could teach, you know. What could you say that was right or wrong? Well, you've broken them all. Okay. So we can't say anything. If I haven't obeyed 100%, I can't teach what God says. No, no. You know, I've seen God bless so many sermons I had not even caught up with to do yet. I was teaching in Bible college when I was really young. And sometimes I'd come home, and I knew I taught a knockout lesson. It was great. And I thought, God, I'll be glad for the day I could say I've done that. Because my knowledge far exceeded my experience. I knew a lot more than I had experienced at 22. That's what I like about preaching and getting older. I've experienced a lot of this stuff. I know God keeps his word. I know the power of his word. I've seen people do it God's way, and God's done great things. And I've seen people who broke all the rules and didn't want to listen to God. I just experientially got these catalogs in my mind. Did you do it God's way? Your way. And you just see the lives, and you've got all those testimonies. Then what I think a great thing he does, I won't go into it again, but in verses 15 to 23, uh, this is something that I think in, he teaches the young son. He's teaching the uh, marital bliss of having love in a marriage. And so he's saying, I'm not just tabooing uh, a sexual activity. No, let me tell you, son, it's wonderful in this context. I love your mother. Uh, we're not frustrated. Uh, we're fulfilled because we're doing it God's way, and the best sex is God's sex. The best sex is doing it in the boundaries of God, and you don't have to be immoral or you'll really miss out. Do it God's way, and he starts describing this wife of a man She's like the well that quenches the thirst of this man. So he tells the positive side to the young people. Now, I have to be frank with you. Uh, I never heard my mom and dad hardly ever say the word sex. Uh, My mother said one time, and I've always tried to figure it out, she said, your daddy can look at me and I'd get pregnant. And for years I thought that's how it happened. (laughs) Just look at me, I'm pregnant. Oh, man, that's it. I didn't know that. Yeah, she, she didn't have to worry about, uh, boy, no, 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 no. She, she decided to get a job and stay away from him as much as she could. Uh, and when I came, my, my brother Paul said to, my mother uh, told Paul, we were living in an 800-square-foot uh, government housing down in the war shipyards. And uh, when my mother, she comes to Paul, she said, 
Paul, how would you like to have a baby brother? He said, Mom, how can you do this to us? There's not enough room for what we've already got. What are you getting pregnant for? And so I came with open arms. The family was craving for me to come. But, uh, you know, they never talked about it. And you, you probably came from that home. But I, I don't see how you cannot talk about it if you think all the Scriptures are inspired. If all of the Scriptures are profitable for instruction, correction, teach me righteous ways to live. Chapter 6, let's look at that. Keep going here. Uh, look at verses 20. We begin there. My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Right there, mom and dad. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. It's kind of, it sounds to me like the Deuteronomy 6. Man, make it like your jewelry, this teaching. Let it adorn your life. You're wearing it. Uh, It's like tabula rasa. You want to inscribe on the fresh clay of a child's mind. Give them a moral compass before they're ever tempted. Teach them back here 10 years of age, 11, before puberty, before hormones change, and all those temptations that come with youth. Give them a view, an, an outlook on life that they got from a beloved mother and a beloved dad. And what's happened in America? Divorce, parents strung out, nobody's at home teaching them. And we wonder all the fallout. And our youth groups are overwhelmed with the challenges. They are overwhelming. When I hear these young men talk, they don't always give names, but they'll make prayer requests. This girl is, um, could be pregnant, or this kid needs help. He's sexually active, and, and sometimes with tears break down at staff prayer meetings. They're dealing with kids that are into all kinds of sexuality. And we in the church... Can't wait for Social Security checks to come in. I can't even be bothered. Somebody's got to be bothered. Somebody's got to. We got a lot of young people in this church raising their family. Who do you want to teach your child? You or the church? First time I've ever in 39 years spoke on this subject on Sunday mornings. And, you know, I feel a little funny speaking because I'm not sensational. I'd rather teach Romans. Huh? I'm not a sex maniac too old. Uh, but what I, I, I see, I'll see some of you that is kind of, I'll sort of be glad when this is over with. This sort of doesn't mean he needs in my life. Yeah, I know. And others over here, they're clawing for every message. They said, we never had any guidance. We never had any divine instruction. Please keep talking to us. And so, what does the enemy want? He wants us to go mute on the message. But we ought to say, no, here it is. In holiness, in purity, and for the will of God to keep you pure and to save you, we must speak up and not be prudes in the church. Let's speak up to our kids, tell them the joy of married sex, and warn them about illicit sex, and do it from a loving heart. That's what we ought to do. And that includes every parent. And by the way, I've got 10 grandchildren, and believe me, I've got the credentials, and I have no inhibitions of grabbing my granddaughters and grandsons. We've been praying over you for years. I pray God to keep you, JP. I pray God to keep you, Holly, because I know what's out there, and I don't feel timid, and I've got to 
be awakened by some tragedy. I've lived through enough. I've seen enough things happen. Believe me, we can't teach soon enough, and ultimately, they're at the hands of God. Only if they choose to walk with God and know God can they escape much of this. And thank God, when you haven't obeyed, there's a way back. There's a way back. Well, he goes on, talks in this chapter about uh, keep this teaching. It will keep you from the immoral woman in verse 24. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes for the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread and the adulteress preys upon your very life. Now you got to know the big trap for a man is a smooth-talking woman and external beauty. He says, don't let her capture you. Now, now let's look at a marriage. We get up here, you're in a marriage, and, and you marry, you know, uh, the prom queen. And then you decide to have four children. And she does not look like the prom picture. Take that however you want. But she just did not look the same. It looks like she got caught in the hurricane season or something like that. And then you go out, and what's so tricky today is the workplace, the workplace where some young chick can come in, load it with perfume, beauty, no children maybe, boom, and your wife's expecting the third child. She's lost her figure. She's dealing with stretch marks, and she's having morning sickness. They say, wow, this looks good compared to what I left at home. When I left home, it was throw-up number nine, and down here is Chanel number five. And it looks a lot better. And there's a lot of unfaithfulness during pregnancies. A lot of unfaithfulness. I just got to go and have me a real woman. Wait, wait, you got a real woman. She's having your child. And unless there's covenant love, you see, marriage and love is much more than sex. That's, it's out there. What really counts is deep commitment to a friend and deep commitment to a covenant that when the emotions are up and down, when the body is going, undergoing different things, and when there's trials, I made a covenant with my wife and God, and she's not mine just because she's always got her figure and ways just right. The commitment is much deeper than all this external stuff. Where can you find a faithful woman a loyal woman that won't go to the streets and sell herself. So he warns you, we know what captures us, beauty, smooth talk, and people that are disloyal. Then he says, can you, can you commit adultery without getting burned? Verse 27 through 29. Can you commit adultery and go unpunished? Mm. Uh, it's pretty risky. Men don't hate a thief if he steals to feed his hunger. But if you take another man's wife, you're on the verge of destroying yourself. Blows and disgrace will come, and the husband will never forgive you. You can't pay enough to compensate him. You violated him. It's one of the riskiest sins you could ever commit. And yet you can go to a movie, and for the whole time of the movie, they're making adultery justifiable. Their needs aren't being met at home, so you have a right to go somewhere else to get them met. A lie deception. Then, I think in chapter 7, this dad does something. Dad and mom, 
that I think is amazing. He said, I want you to bind my teaching to your heart, and he gives the most graphic description in the Bible of uh, how a woman can seduce a young man. I mean, it's so graphic. Uh, he said, wow, verse 6, at the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice, I saw among the simple. That word there is the gullible. Open to anything is the word. I noticed among the young men. I want you to hear this, young men. Hear me. In the Bible, you not being able to control your sex drive and being prey to any young gal is the picture of being a dumb ox led to slaughter. You're not even in control. He, he doesn't say here, and the young stud went out and got as many women as he could. He said, no, the young, dumb, gullible ox went out and got slaughtered. You don't think that, because in the male world, you're always the conqueror. In Proverbs 7, the picture is, she'll conquer you. You think it's a notch on the belt? No, 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 you fool. You fool. You fool. There's no notch in your belt. You just said you're out of control. That she's stronger than you. She took you to the mat because she can control you with her beauty, with her words. You don't have enough moral chutzpah to stand up. You just wilt. And it's why we crave male leadership in homes because after you've been conquered by the bedroom in the courtship, it's hard to be much of a moral leader once you're in the marriage. When do you start taking the lead? Young men, young ladies, Live your Christianity when you're dating. Don't decide you'll pick up morals once you get married. It's during the dating, you better be sure that you do it God's way. Because you'll sow the seeds that when you come to the marriage, says, well, we both broke all the moral laws of God before we got married. Whoever makes us think will keep them once we're married. He goes on. I saw among the stupid, gullible, easily persuaded, a young man a youth who lacked judgment. He's going down the street near her corner. He just said back in chapter 6, don't even hang out where she is. I mean, there's certain neighborhoods in East Oakland you don't want to be around. You don't want to be around certain neighborhoods in Richmond. There's certain places, everybody knows where they're working the beat. Don't go around there. Uh, They're walking in the direction of her house at twilight. You know what? Darkness always begets more sin. As the day was fading, as the dark of night set in, then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. How does a prostitute dress? Is Brittany close to it? Is uh, Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders? I mean, our young people, what's thrown in front of them when they're the pop stars of the day or it, the adults are throwing it at them all the time. Say, that's the way I'm going to dress. I'm going to show all the cleavage I can. I want my pants as tight as... You know, prostitutes know how to dress to get attention. And, and what we want to tell you as a... If you're a Christian young person, uh, be careful how you dress because it sends a message. And I just heard a black preacher. I was just listening to a sermon. He said, if the house isn't for sale, take down the sign." Isn't that great? I hate to give him recognition, but that's E.K. Bailey. If the house isn't for sale, take down the sign. And your dress tells you if you're for sale. So, 
I've seen so many Christian young ladies, when they got saved, one of the first things God had to teach them how to dress, especially come to church. If you want to wear, you know, a wild outfit in uh, your marriage, uh, flannel can do also, but, you know, but, but not in church. Uh, and so she comes out, she's dressed in a certain way, she has crafty intent, she's loud, defiant, she never stays at home, her marriage. She's in the street, in the squares, she's lurking. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, let me ask you a question, who's in charge here? She is. She's in charge of the agenda. And he's saying, sap, sap, my young sap that I'm raising, don't be conquered by a woman's looks and her speech and her plot to destroy you. I'm just having fun. And she says this, come on over. I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfill my vows. That means she took a bunch of sacrifice down to the... uh, uh, to the priest to offer, but there was enough left in the animal. You could have a great feast yourself. So he said, I've already paid my religious duties. Sounds like evangelical Christians today. We've already gone to church. Let's go out and have sex. Let's stay religious by all means. God bless this immoral behavior. No, no, no. But she's religious. She's a Jewish girl. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and I found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I perfume my bed with myrrh, alloy, cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love until the morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. Tell me she's not working the plot. She's got the plot. She's got the bed decorated. She's done religious vows. She's got the food. She already knows her husband's schedule. He took a lot of money. Won't be back till full moon. This gal has it all said, will never be found out. I've got the right opportunity for you. And watch what happens. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her. That that grabs me all at once. Is that impulsive? I wasn't planning on doing it gullible. She says, but man, I didn't want to pass up something that good looking. See, and then boom, he just makes a choice. He just, it just seems so impulsive. Like that. She persuaded. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. Have you ever seen, have you ever been to a slaughterhouse? You need to do that just right before Thanksgiving. It's gross. Uh, but I went to, I've got, a, I've got three minutes and I'll stop. I went to a slaughterhouse in Paso Robles one time I was preaching there. And, and it is amazing. They get these cattle, they're just going down the chute and, and nothing. And then they get them at the end, boom, shoot them in the head. And they do that. And then they put these hooks on their feet. They do it and they bring them up on the rack. And by, within probably... Probably within 45 minutes, that animal will have been butchered, cut up, everything. It's an amazing thing. But they don't know. Boom. And I'm thinking, didn't you just see your buddy get knocked off? Rear up. Go back. Run. Boom. And the next thing they know, he's going around. 
And, and this is this young man. I don't know. I'm just going where my buddies go. Dumb ox, dumb ox. You're getting ready to be minced up, filleted, and we hope you come out alive. I said, wow, I, I feel so macho while I'm doing it because you're a big sap. Okay, a big ox. Like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little, little knowing it will cost him his what? Do you teach your boys and girls this? Has anyone ever taught you this? That immorality will cost more than you intend to pay? Where's our mouth? Where's our influence? Man, we pray to have babies, and we raise them, and we fuss over them, and all of a sudden, when they get hormones, we want to cast them in and ask the church or someone to take them for 10 years, and when they grow out of it, I'll take them back. Don't get to do that. You've got to live with them through those tumultuous hormonal puberty years, and they're not easy. But warn them. Then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many of the victims she's brought down or slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chamber of death. Well, it's a somber reading. Hollywood has never read it and believes it. I ask you this. Are you teaching your children about the high cost of immorality? You ought to teach it more than pastors or anybody else. Are, are, you, are you teaching them biblical God-fearing morals? The, number two, I mentioned some say, well, I've been immoral. I can't teach. And I, I don't believe that. Who teaches your children about God and morals? The youth group, school, peers, media? I see some parents say, who's going to teach them? Who's going to teach them? You've been voted in as the teacher of the year. My dad used to always say that to us boys. Soon as you have children, you've been voted in as a teacher for life. You will either teach good or bad, but you're it. Don't run from it. Teach them. Finally, our times are crying for parents to step up to home plate and fight for the lives of the children God gave you. And I put the conversation, I was talking with Dave Hurtado and discussing young people and their moral battles. He said, Pastor, he said, I could tell you the majority of young people I talk to say, I wish my parents would have or would talk to me about this area of life, but they've gone silent. So I've turned to many wrong sources, and my life's nearly been destroyed. Please, parent, they're worth investing in, warning, and instructing. And you're not a prude. You just hate to see something precious destroyed. Deuteronomy, Israel, nobody's going to try to save your kids from the Canaanite religion and the Canaanite drastic ways of treating children. You talk about abuse and killing. I just had a man told me Friday, he said, a woman just sent him a newspaper clipping where they eat babies in China. And the woman was reading uh, the article to him. He said, don't be using that kind of stuff. That's outrageous. They would really be outraged. She said, I'm quoting to you from the front page of one of their papers. I'm not inventing it. See, we must not destroy our offspring by neglecting to teach them or doing anything to hurt them. Let us speak up against the oceanic uh, pollution of the moral realm. We are a saved people in the midst of a culture God is eventually giving up. We are the last bastion, the Christian home. 
I think, to change things. I encourage you. I encourage you. Do the best you can. Pray that they'll be saved. That's the ultimate thing. And don't get disheartened. It's a long battle, but we all need to get involved. God bless you.